0: Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Guest.
1: Welcome along to episode 113 of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm Paul Spain. Nate Dunn. Brett Roberts. Welcome along, guys. Thanks. Good to be back. It's good to be back. Now, telecom have, uh, have remained in the media for, uh, for another week.
2: <laughs> Just a few little.
1: Were, there, uh, were there, uh, their the uh, their their dramas with um, their email service, uh, which Yahoo provides for them,
2: which they said they'd fixed. Well, Yahoo said it that fixed, and it's sort of not fixed. It's still ongoing, and yeah, it's, I don't know why it's taking so long. Is this a Yahoo issue? Is this a telecom issue? What? Yeah. Where's the chain broken down? Oh, I think it's a Yahoo issue.
1: It is, but it becomes a telecom issue uh, very quickly, doesn't it? When uh... When it's the telecom customers that are that are being impacted, the the interesting thing here is that Yahoo have actually been pretty quiet about the whole thing. I contacted them uh, over the weekend for for a statement, sent them some questions, and instead of sort of a direct reply back, uh, I got what basically was a new press release from them. Um, instead of a sort of a direct response, it wasn't particularly helpful. One of the questions I asked is well where where was this you know where was this attack coming from because obviously you know they would know a lot of information or they should know about exactly what's going on where's it coming from who's impacted who are the people that have um, uh, that have been breaching their security uh, but they've stayed very very quiet on on that and they've released really only a very small amount of uh, of information and it, I mean at this stage I think um this is not good for their credibility and it's it's very strange that they're not actually in a position or they're not willing to uh you know to front up and to be clear with with what's actually happened because I mean we're talking tens of thousands of accounts that are compromised the last number I had Sunday was 80,000 I've seen uh, some other figures although are not directly from uh, from them or telecom since suggesting you know even higher
0: um it's not a not a good uh, not a good look. They're corporate in a rock and a hard place, right? So you know, obviously they've got a contractual commercial relationship with um, Extra with Telecom. Um, the everything's fallen over in a screaming heap. They're an American corporate. You know, first rule of American corporates is a never admit liability and b never say you're sorry. Uh, literally, you know, it's it's a um, because you can go to get hauled into court for such things. Um, they'll be frantically scrabbling around in, in the background trying to sort it all out. So they've got technical issues to juggle on one hand, PR issues to juggle on another, and with their third hand, they've got this commercial relationship that they don't want to screw up with with telecom, and I'd hate to be whoever it is that's in the middle of that at a Yahoo, you know, at the Yahoo end, that would be horrible. Um, the, the thing that I find strange is more that I, I would have personally expected that telecom would front with, you know, I don't know, if it's still going and it's still live and it's still an issue, maybe twice a day updates about what's happening or, or where it's coming from um, Chris Quinn, you know I've got a lot of time for I think he's, a, he's done a lot of um, good work around putting a really um, uh, I guess more open face on, on telecom you know he's on Twitter, he's quite an easy guy to get hold of um, and you know, this is a big thing for him as well so I think there's so many things to juggle on this the, the technical aspect, the commercial aspect the PR aspect, so I'm pleased I don't work in either of those organisations Excellent
1: yeah, well I actually had a chat to to Chris last week about coming uh, on the podcast and uh you know he's he's more than happy to um to come on, yep. um, you know, it's not something that we'll we'll have him on in the, in the midst of this thing. I want to hear a little bit, you know, more broadly around uh, around telecom matters. But maybe once the dust is, is settled, we you know will be able to hear a little bit more about uh, about what went on. But uh, yeah, at, at the moment, I guess we're still you know in the midst of of dramas and uh, stresses with a whole lot of uh, you know account passwords being reset, so people being locked out of email over the weekend and. Uh, so on, so I, I guess I'm just hopeful that this sort of settles down a little bit, and that it has the uh, the impact of maybe encouraging more people to move away from using their ISP email, which I don't think is a very smart thing to uh, to do. It's a convenient thing to do, and and I guess you know it's always a challenge to uh, to move away, but maybe this will be encouragement for. People to take that you know difficult step of changing the email address that maybe they 've had for you know, for ten years to, uh, to to something else
0: if they can log back in and send a thing to their friends saying they 've changed <laughs> yeah. the, the thing that 's interesting though is i don 't see lots of people i don 't see people marching in the streets you know, i mean it 's not like there's thousands of people shrieking about this, you know what I mean and it just maybe goes to show that um, as you and I were talking about um, earlier that there's probably a hell of a lot of accounts that have been compromised that actually people just don't use anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I, yeah, I would definitely think that that's part of it. And in fact, I, I put out uh, a tweet uh, over the weekend, uh, you know, just to see if you know what sort of response that there was from people impacted, uh, you know, directly before before I did um, the first line slot with TV3 on Monday morning. And um, yeah, in- interestingly, there were a few people that were were retweeting my question about there being. Uh, you know asking what issues people were getting but i don't think i i don't recall any any response any uh sort of direct responses on that to people saying yes this is how it's impacted me um so yeah although it's extremely embarrassing and everyone's had a lot of spam and so on uh people aren't necessarily sort of feeling you know feeling all of the pain but i think um you know there's there's something a little deeper that uh you know concern about uh you know having your data compromised I think is is something that's pretty uh, pretty
0: worrying to people so I think the thing we've learned is it's probably an inverse correlation between people that use Twitter and people that use extra yeah yeah true true Um, extra
2: email anyway I was impressed with the because you normally when you read about these things you're either in sort of the the group where you see it and get affected or you sort of you're not and it was i think it was a sunday morning i got the first email through from a it was an old trade me contact actually because i thought this is strange Mm. and and used google to 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 find them and then another one came in and i had probably 20 or 30 that day i thought hold on and that's when you realized when i I realized something was up Mm. but it was it was all these random and they all seemed to be um, trade me contacts it wasn't really anyone that i'd spoken to um lately, but it's all like people right out of the woodworks so that I haven't spoken to for many, many years, but had um done a trade me trade with them that were sending me all these um these spam emails
0: that's really interesting i mean i haven't seen i've got three email accounts that I use regularly a single spam message in hotmail, my company or my own company's email not a single one
1: that's fascinating because yeah. I definitely
0: saw a you know a bunch when it
1: when you know when this thing first hit. Uh, but, you know, one of the concerns on an ongoing basis is that if, you know, these, as we understand it, um, you know, these contact lists have been uh, compromised, then, you know, potentially somebody you know uh, will email you or it will look like they're emailing you a month or a year or, yeah, you know, wherever down in the track in the future, and maybe they, they collate a little bit more information and send you an email that looks very, very real that, oh, yes, that's from this person. Yep, here it goes. This is to Brett from you know someone you know, and it's you know been done in such a such a um, slick way that uh, that you click through on the
0: link when uh, when you shouldn't. Yeah, with, yeah those, those sort of attacks. And, and so, the amazing thing was the comp, the exploit cost someone seven hundred bucks. Isn't that amazing? Apparently that's what it sold that, for. That's, oh, really? Yeah. Okay, that's fascinating. Yeah. So it's not very expensive to do these uh, these things these days, is it? Well, it that, it actually raises an interesting point around do do Yahoo have a have a Bug bounty program, you know Google do, um, a number of the other vendors out there do. Mm, It'd be interesting mm. to find out if they actually do anything like that. Could mm. have been the best seven hundred bucks they ever spent.
1: Yes. Oh well. Um, now, it's funny. There's another. There's another drama this week, and this is unusual because we haven't sort of talked about um, you know, major outages and, and whatnot in a while. But uh, IBM uh, launched with a fair bit of hoopla um, just under two years ago now. I think um, their their new uh, Data centre uh, on Auckland's North Shore. I think um, Highbrook, eighty million was the uh, the number that was uh, touted as being invested in launching this new data centre to provide cloud services into the New Zealand market. Uh, and uh,
0: they've had some some nasty dramas this week. Yeah, it's pretty ugly, isn't it? You know, it's eighty million dollars. I, I was thinking as I was driving over here earlier. You know, it's um, the next marketing campaign could be you know IBM Data Centre aiming for five eighths reliability. <laughs> Could be quite catchy, yeah. But I mean, you know, thirty, forty something hours now of, of outage, but but not just that. As far as I've seen so far, no really clear explanation about what the problem is. No, and there I hasn't been a clear communication. There was a yeah,
1: there was an initial issue, and then they've said that you know they've been hit with a second issue, yeah, a technical problem. On top of that, yeah, but really with, without shocked. without explaining uh, yeah. what it is. Now this is the data center that uh, you know we understand they've got. Um, Something like sixty thousand uh, liters of fuel. So if there's a you know power issue that they can keep it running for uh, for three days standalone. Uh, if there's you know an interruption to power service, and I think uh, two roofs, so that if uh, you know, I guess the the first one has an issue that the next that it's not going to uh, you know directly leak. The so they've got all, all, all sorts of uh, you know protection, but uh, the, it looks like they haven't really handled the technical side
0: very well. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll be interesting to if if we get to see the post mortem and what the what the cause is. But um, I mean, you know, it's a pretty competitive market. There's some really good players out there already. IBM were quite late, to, you know, to that space here in New Zealand. This must must be hurting them. I I have to say I've now crossed their data center off my um, zombie apocalypse list. Oh, I, I think, think there's much probab- better places. to start. I think he probab- would be the only one. To I be a- think probably most w- would have done after this. Now you know
1: their smart thing would I would think would be to come back afterwards and show off what they've learned and what they've done and so on I don't know whether they're the sort of uh, corporation that would do that Uh, my pick is the smartest thing and this is um, I don't know maybe a bit harsh but if we look at the realities of it and uh, you know we've heard that it hasn't been a particularly um, well utilized you know data center since its launch now that could be could be wrong. Maybe it's um, bustling with customers, but we're not hearing from thousands of customers about the pain this is causing them. Uh, you know, my pick is is that um, this might be a data center that in a year or two um, someone could pick up for a reasonably good price.
2: <laughs> are you, are you shopping, Paul? <laughs> i just throwing it out there. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> is, it, just, is it fair uh, to say this is quite a unique? Um, event like you know when you've got well, service it's, it's just, sitting in a data center, you would have an outage of say your rack because something fails out like your network card fails or a power supply fails, so it's it's isolated to your your rack of equipment. But to have the the whole data center just click offline, it's really dark. It, yeah, it's fairly unheard of. And and being so big, I guess that's you know
1: that's why I, you know I somewhat sort of tongue and cheek talk about them sell, selling it, but you know if. If everyone loses confidence in in their ability to deliver, you know, not only are they going to lose their existing customers, but you know, as Brett says about you know, crossing them off uh, crossing them off the list, um, you know, who who's going
0: to um, you know who are their customers going to be in the future? Yeah, I mean, the, that whole um, data center space is quite interesting. There's there's a small number of quite, in fact, very good players here in New Zealand already. You know, and it's not hard for them to expand. And I would imagine if the customers in this data centre whose servers aren't going now, aren't picking the phone up and calling them, the reverse will be happening. Mm, Absolutely. Mm, mm. And, and, yeah, I mean, um, the, a data centre is all about reliability. That's the primary thing, right? It's a bit like airlines are all about safety. If you mm. compromise that, you know, you have nothing. And Wow, and, and as far as I've seen, there hasn't been any explanation. So just even fronting the media and saying, oops, we put a backhoe through the main power cable and whatever, but there's been, as far as I know, nothing which is an odd stance to take PR-wise. Mm, yes, I'm I mean, sure they're communicating with their customers.
2: An odd stance from IBM. Like you'd expect, or I would expect this from, a say, a smaller player, yeah. sort of head in the sand, but from IBM, so the or what I would think was a global superpower in, in IT... To have them just go, oh, I'm not sure, and, and we're not going to make any comment, sort of thing, is I think very strange. See, never mm-hmm.
0: apologise, American corporate. <laughs> there,
2: we,
1: there we are. All right, now uh, mo- moving along to more, <laughs> more uh, you know, fascinating and, and positive stories. Uh, Microsoft Surface Pro launch. Now that took place in the US just over uh, just over a week ago, uh, and in the last uh, last couple of days or so, we've managed to lay our hands on uh, on one of those those first units. Um, Brett, now you've been using a Microsoft Surface RT for a little while, yep. uh, running the Windows RT sort of operating system, um, a little bit slimmer and so on than the um, than the full blown Surface Pro. Uh, but we're talking about a device here that basically uh, a you know, um, you know full blown in terms of uh, grunt uh, PC, but in that uh, sort of tablet form factor with the. Uh, uh, you know, the keyboard that you can uh, tack onto it and so on. What are your thoughts from just having a little
0: uh, little play with it? I, I like it. I love my um, Surface RT. It's a really good device. It, you know, it's the right weight and feels good and it's got that cool hinge that makes that cool sound. Um, and then just picking up the Surface Pro before, you know, it's, it's a full-blown um, laptop. Um, the keyboard, the real keyboard, um, real-ish keyboard, um, feels really good it 's got enough travel in it that' tight really cover yeah tight yeah, cover um, really nice device you know next laptop I buy or next device I buy I think it'll be one of those it 's just it 's kind of got all the bits and pieces right it 's not an ultra book and it 's not a tablet per se it 's just somewhere in that middle space which is which is interesting. What's and it's your not that what, heavy you
1: know yeah what's your thoughts Nate Because you you need a pretty grunty machine sort of on on your on your desk um, but you're quite a big um, you know tablet user too what tablet do you normally use at the moment?
2: I did have the uh, Samsung Galaxy tab, but I've found because we're doing quite a bit of travel overseas now and when I was in the states for ten days um, it was great on the plane but not very practical for doing any work and especially with the um, the really cheap Wi-Fi that all the the planes have over there. It's actually really nice to be able to kill time by doing work on the plane. So this is a cool. I was just looking at the specs. It's four four gigs of RAM of memory, hundred and twenty gig solid state drive. Is that one hundred and twenty eight? Yeah, one hundred and twenty eight. What yeah. sort of processor on the inside? Um,
1: it's an i five. I think it's running at uh, 1.7, uh, 1.7 gigahertz dual core.
2: It's a cool little. You know, I certainly uh, I prefer this the tactile response of this. Um, uh, keyboard as opposed to the just yeah. So you've um, got the two one.
1: keyboards. You've got the uh, touch cover, which is what I used previously on the um, on the Surface RT, and you've got the type cover. Both have been available with the original Surface, but I thought, well, let's let's just try this type cover, uh, you know, to see how much better it was. You quite
2: like it, yes. And actually, I actually, I remember when I first saw the Surface device, I was thinking, well, they're touch screen, and you're going to be using a mouse. But I I'm using the keyboard, and it doesn't feel weird at all to be typing and then touch screen, then type and touch screen. It doesn't. Like I remember when I first saw it, I thought, "Well, that's kind of that's going to be quite stupid because you can't moving." But it just it seems very intuitive to, I, to do I, that. I think that whole thing because um, Steve
0: Jobs came out a few years back and said, you know, no one's even going to use a touchscreen laptop," and I think he's completely wrong. The minute you you you, know, you have a device where you can just start swiping, it becomes really intuitive really quickly. We bought a um, one of those HP all in one. Um, Devices, the Windows Seven on it, yep, um, um, touchscreen. Put, put, yeah, touchscreen. Put yeah, screen I think only single point touch. Put Windows Eight on it. I think I think it's multi touch. It just completely changes the way you use the device. You start getting used to just reaching up and tapping on the screen to get to something, and it just becomes natural. In fact, I've got to the point I've got a Dell XPS thirteen in front of me, which is non touch, but it's got fingerprints all over it because occasionally something will pop up, and I'll go splunk and try and touch it with my finger just to get it going. You know, so I think people get used to it really quickly. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I was sort of quite surprised and one of the things, like, you know, I said last week actually when we were talking about it, and I, this had come from my experience with the with the thinner Surface RT uh, and the uh, the touch cover was that it wasn't something you could use on your lap but, I mean, Nate, you're using it on your lap now as, like, a, in a
2: laptop type form, and um, how's that working? Yeah, it's nice and light. I remember when I first got a, um, a Dell laptop when I was in uni and your legs would go to sleep because it was so heavy. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> There's this thing is yeah quite comfortably sit here and type on it. it. It works really well. Yeah, that was a real
1: surprise to me. And uh, you know, even when I, I had the other keyboard on it um, um, on uh, on TV3 on Monday, and uh, you know, I was sort of showing off. Oh, it doesn't work very well on your laptop, but actually, as soon as I put this keyboard on and put it on my, uh, I mean, on my lap. Um, it act, it actually work, it works okay. It's not it's obviously not as sturdy. You can't pick it up by the base, um, and and um, and so on. But uh, you can actually position it on your on your knees and and work with it. Okay, it, there's something about just the extra weight and the solidness of that um, that type cover um, that does make that actually practical use. So yeah, in the last couple of days, I've completely changed my view on whether that's a sort of device that I could yeah. actually work with, uh, and yeah, I think it, it it is actually potentially a full
0: PC and laptop um, and tablet type, you know, replacement. The other thing, you know, to state the incredibly bleeding obvious is that the thing that gets really hot isn't on your lap, and that, that's the other thing with the laptop, right? You need know, to sit there, and they do get warm, mm-hmm. and that adds to the discomfort. Whereas the the bit that gets warm sitting up in the air, that wasn't so obvious actually. I just noticed it then. I just <laughs> thought it would say it was obvious, <laughs> so I didn't look. Didn't, obvious
2: it and didn't <laughs> notice it either. So.
1: Yeah. No. No. That's um, that's actually a really good really good point. No. It's um, it, it is a cool device, and uh, um, there seems to be quite a bit of interest actually. And, and um, something that we've decided at the office, uh, because we had you know, a lot of people wanting to look at these, is we're going to um, um, rent them out. So we've already got a, you know a couple of customers that are sort of lined up saying, um, "Hey, when can we get our hands on on one of those?" So. Uh, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to, just to see you know how many people want to play with them. Hopefully, Microsoft will you know will sort out uh, you know their <laughs> global distribution issues and work out how to release products simultaneously around the world. Lack of distribution uh, and uh, and and sort that out because it's it's somewhat frustrating when uh, you know when a company comes out with a with a product that you're interested in and then doesn't release it. And you know we had the same thing I guess with Apple in the early days with the iPhone. And uh, yeah, maybe it's just a similar sort of thing where you know it's going to take a little while, and then they're going to get to a point of okay, we're selling this everywhere now. We've worked out whatever you know stops us doing that, and we'll just make it available uh, everywhere. And I mean, Apple's now just you know phenomenal with that. You know, we're, we're seeing um, you know generally pretty good results from uh, uh, from Samsung with you know global launches of things like the Galaxy S3. Although the Note Two was was something we saw you know a big delay on. Um, so, you know, we are seeing
0: some, um, you know, some varying results here, but... Um, global, I mean, global yeah. logistics must be really hard with something like that, but it's just, uh, you know, and it will it will take them time just to get into that rhythm, I'm sure, but it, but it is it is frustrating. You know, I wanted a Surface RT. Um, in the end, a contact of mine brought a whole bunch of them back, 15 or 16, I think, um, from the States. He asked me if it was okay if it didn't come with a box because he was just going to stack them all in his suitcase, which is what he did. So shouldn't have to do that I have to use a US power adapter you know it would just be nice if I could walk into a Dick Smith or a JB Hi-Fi like you can I believe in Australia and just go and buy one mm-hmm. Yeah. so yep. but they'll get that stuff sorted out you know yep. mind you they didn't learn a lot from Zoom so you
1: know yeah, well, now um, now talking about a, 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 you know a competitive product, uh, Google with their uh, their their Chromebook products. Now these have been available. I think two thousand and ten, the first uh, you know Chromebook uh, became available, and now there's there's you know a growing uh, list of vendors in the market. HP just announced theirs uh, a couple of weeks ago, fourteen inch uh, Chromebook for US three hundred and thirty dollars, and Lenovo. I've got one coming out in the next few days in the US uh, as well uh, for four hundred and twenty nine dollars um, now this this is quite a, f- a fascinating uh, product because it takes a very you know different approach to you know really certainly anything that uh, that microsoft and and Apple are doing and that you 've really got a, a device that uh, you know in some ways you can compare to the old sort of dumb terminals there's not a whole <laughs> lot of uh, you know there's not a whole lot of sort of storage and, um, and <coughs> There's not a whole lot of sort of storage and, and power that's sort of in the um, uh, you know in these Chromebook little uh, you know laptops uh, because they're you know they're leveraging uh, you know Google storage in, in the cloud what's uh, what's available online. Um, any thoughts about these devices? It Seems to be I mean the biggest interest I've I've heard about is sort of in the education uh, sector. Uh, but you know what what do you think, Nate? Is this the sort of thing that you you would find um, useful?
2: Um, Not in my day-to-day. I think for education where you're doing sharing documents, doing collaborative things, it's going to be very, very helpful and very easy to use because you don't need... You're not going to be a power user. You're not going to need all the features of a desktop. But let's say if you're a a designer where you're going to be... You're going to have the whole suite of products installed or you're a developer where you need a whole suite of products installed. So you're more of a power user than, say, your average um, desktop user. It's not going to be very suitable. But I... like. I'll use my parents, for example, who don't need all the sort of fancy whiz-bang things. They could easily get a cramp And at that sort of price point, it's pretty affordable. And if you were fitting out a whole classroom, that's a lot cheaper than buying everyone um, iPads or top-of-the-line laptops. Where do you think that would
0: fit, uh, Brent? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by them. I've, always, I've been pretty negative on the whole concept. I just think it's a um, solution looking for a problem to a certain extent. Um, and in, in some ways, you know, it's um, a bit like the um, Ultrabook thing was um, initially, or the really, you know... The, the netbooks. The netbooks, sorry. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, interesting, but eventually everything else came down to the same sort of price point. They became just, popular because of the price. Yeah. It was It wasn't yeah. that it was actually the best piece of technology. No, and, and it wasn't. So, you know, there's always a part of the marketplace that wants to go and buy something cheap, and so it'll, it'll appeal. Um but you know i thought your analogy of it being kind of a dumb terminal isn't isn't actually a bad analogy and i think for a lot of people that want to do anything beyond probably some of the basics it's going to fail you know the the sniff test for them um pretty quickly so you know will they sell them yeah they will will it take off wildly and take over the world i bet you it won't um it'll just become part of the big wonderful ecosystem that of all the other hardware that's out there you know Mm. it's not um you know i i don't Again, you know, my marching in the streets thing, I don't see people marching in the streets for them. You know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff out there. Schools are using a wide variety of hardware. They're getting far better at the whole bring your own device thing. So kids have got these things at home anyway, their own devices at home. Schools are getting smarter about letting them bring their own stuff in. You know, it's, it is, I think, in a lot of ways for the vast majority a, a pretty interesting solution, but I just don't understand quite what the problem is.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, I think I mean as I guess as people do more and more uh, online and run less and less sort of local, local apps, um, you know there there is a potential for for the use. But um, I guess some of the some of the you know things that were really the initial you know awesome features of. You know, you would just log into this machine, and everything would sort of come down. We now, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, Apple and Microsoft incorporate that type of functionality into their OSs. So you get, I guess, you know, the benefits of a full blown operating system, and you know, the the you know the. Um, You know, you don't have so many constraints, but you also get some of the benefits that were, you know, originally sort of touted as being the, um, um, you know, the awesome things of the Chromebook. So I think it's an interesting space to watch, and the fact that HP and Lenovo are jumping on board um, suggests to me that there must be some growing demand there. So, yeah, I think let's watch this space, see what happens this year with it, because certainly they haven't had much of a market share to date, Um, but... I think there's some interesting things Google Google could do, and uh, you know maybe some sort of merger of the capabilities of Android into what the Chromebook does. So you've you know you've then got maybe more powerful applications, maybe bringing touchscreen and so on on board. You might not have so much of that lower price point, but um, I think it might be attractive to uh,
0: you know to to an audience. I think that's an interesting point. You know, as a as a device today, I'm, I'm not convinced as a stepping stone to something more interesting. Yeah, it could. Could, could very well be. There's a great quote on the Wikipedia page for Chromebook, um, which I think damns it with faint praise. It says, um, in October 2012, Simon Phipps, writing in InfoWorld, said, quote, the Chromebook line is probably the most successful Linux desktop slash laptop computer we've seen to date. Wow. That's fascinating, <laughs> isn't it? I guess, right. yeah. I mean, just,
1: yeah. I mean, Linux has just really, really struggled at that, that desktop end. Yeah. Now um uh, something that I I guess sort of fits in you know in, in between the story about new uh you know new PC tablet type uh, devices is uh what we're seeing with service and and support uh from uh from vendors locally here in New Zealand lately. Now I've had a couple of experiences well a number actually with uh with Lenovo because um you know what we found um it, you know, my, I guess my experience over the years was, you know, Lenovo, uh, particularly with their ThinkPads, had a really, really solid, robust product that you know was probably the best in the industry from a reliability perspective. And then they backed it up with, um, you know, really outstanding support from IBM. Now, what we um, found out later last year was that uh, Lenovo have um, in the New Zealand and Australian market, and this is the only market they've done it in worldwide. As they've fired IBM as their uh, as their local support, uh, and it seems to be really hitting them quite uh, quite badly. Uh, in one case, we saw um, a situation where a repair took. Um, this was a machine with a next day uh, next day warranty. Uh, I think it took something in the direction of two months to uh, to actually get a resolution.
2: Maybe they're just uh, adding the word ish, which like like is next day next day ish. Day-ish. Could Which to me
1: is just, I mean, incredible. Now, they seem to have worked through a lot of their initial teething issues, and, it, and, it's, and it's got a whole lot better. Uh, but, it, yeah, it seems to me, you know, that uh, that's not something that's going to help their brand. And I'm sure they knew that, you know, one of the standout points for Lenovo was that uh, was that they used IBM, uh, you know, for support rather than just pitching it out to whoever could, uh, could do it, uh, you know, the cheapest. Uh, and I've also had some experiences with HP in the last uh, few weeks with their support, um, and I've got to say it wasn't it wasn't a whole lot better than um, uh, you know than than Lenovo's. Interestingly enough, um, although they actually have their own support team on the ground uh, in New Zealand, so um, yeah, it seems that you know it doesn't necessarily matter who you deal with. You can end up um, you know getting the wrong end of the um, um, the, the stick in terms of uh, surface. I think no, the most service.
0: interesting thing in this is that Lenovo fires IBM and then IBM's data centre goes dark. <laughs> 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 Where is it at the start? Couldn't afford the power bill or something. It's like, oh, <laughs> my God, you know? So they could be related. Yeah, I think... Uh,
1: but is this, is this a financial thing? Do you think it's just oh. the pressure of margins are going down and down and down? There's not much money to actually be made out of selling PCs and laptops and so on yeah. anymore. So uh, they're looking at, well, where can we cut back? We're now buying our components a little bit cheaper than, than we were six months ago. Uh, we now need to cut back in other areas. I mean, can you really cut back in service? Surely that's something that's going to get more expensive over time. It's really
0: interesting. I mean, I, I've been lucky touch... Leather. Um, <laughs> when it comes to PC hardware, I've probably had three or four machines fail over the years, um, and have been in a situation where they've been hot swapped out. Working, mm. you know, while as it Microsoft or something like that. Um, I've had friends that have bought all sorts of different brands, and everyone has a different experience. You can get two people that buy two HP desktop PCs. Um, one will have a wonderful experience when it comes to being fixed up. And one will have a terrible experience. It seems to be the um, predictability or consistency of service is part of the issue as well and yeah. I, don't, I don't know why and, and maybe just to flip that around I have a nephew who, um, a couple of nephews who are great Apple fans um, and one of them in particular had a really bad run with a, a bunch of um, Apple hardware um, and they just kept replacing it they just swapped it out and swapped it out and swapped it out and swapped it out he wasn't particularly impressed with the failures but he was pretty darned impressed with the fact that they would just keep switching the stuff out until it worked. You know, Someone somewhere had a big pile of them that they were just t- taking machines out of and sending them on. And in fact, uh, as an aside, same thing with Kindles. I mm. don't know how many, what number of Kindles he's up to now, but um, they just keep swapping them out. Every time they fail, they just send him the latest model, happy as heck. You know, so... Companies who want to know who he is so they don't sell him any gear if that that keeps happening, right? Well, he buys a lot of... (laughs) So the interesting thing is he buys a lot of stuff on Amazon, you know, a lot of downloads a lot of content. So from their perspective, they're making the money on that. So it's worth sending out the the device. Mm -hmm. But you're exactly right. You know, the margins are getting squeezed. um, You know, and it probably literally at times comes down to individuals. You know, who's the individual that you deal with who could do something that's required to swap out the thing or whatever or can't be bothered or whatever it is you know that's a it's that consistency of experience I think that's lacking if someone could nail that and you always knew you had a a consistent experience even if it wasn't stellar but at least you knew that you know your two days actually is ish and it's more like seven days but it's always seven days it always gets sorted Mm. but you know sometimes it'll be two sometimes 200 and that's the annoying thing
1: and I think part of it, there seems to be something about New Zealand, the size of our market, it's hard for them to, you know, maybe with the, this, the population in, in our, our bigger cities is, is not that much, so uh, it can be hard for them to know how much stock to keep and they, don't, they often don't seem to get that, uh, you know, get that. Very right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, Apple, for instance, if you're in Australia, they've got you know great. um, Well, they've got on-site service. I'm, I'm, you know, I can presume that it's great. Um, I guess you only get another opinion when when you if you find out otherwise. But in New Zealand, they haven't had any on-site support. Uh, You know, which is a huge frustration because. Yeah, Apple gear is, is, you know, a lot of it is used in business yeah. and a lot of it for deadline, cri- you know, uh, you know, critical so- type of uh, work and, uh, you know, a, a small business can't usually afford to uh, keep hot spares of equipment sort of sitting around uh, and, uh, yeah, you can't call out Apple and uh, and get them to come out and sort of fix it which is, is not an ideal sort of situation really. I think there's another
0: aspect to this too which is um, I saw earlier this week or might have been late last week that um, some site in the States that analysed the Surface Pro from a fixability perspective, and it scored, was it one out of five or zero out of five? It didn't do particularly well. Um, Basically being, yeah, these smaller devices where th- everything sort of throw them crammed in, in. You yeah. have to, they have to replace the whole lot, right? So, so that's a really interesting thing when you think about it. You know, laptops, your, your average laptop, uh, they are fixable. You know, you can, I looked at the HP you're using there, and you can mm. see the screws, you can open it up. Therefore, you know, it's designed to be fixable. Therefore, when it breaks under warranty, someone's going to attempt to fix it. Therefore, there's a whole chain of events that have to happen, and parts, and all the other bits and pieces to fix it, and the, you know, the expertise required, and all that sort of thing. There's
1: not actually much you can do with this one. Well, no, probably inside, not. But,
0: yeah. but but you think about yeah. a, a, something like an iPad or a, or a Surface mm. when it breaks, it's broken, and you throw it in the bin, and you ship another one out. Now the logistics around that, um, I suspect that that's actually a much cheaper thing to do. It sounds horrible from a landfill perspective, mm. but realistically, amount of expertise required, none. It's just about holding stock. It's about you know working out pretty quickly if the fault's you know a genuine fault. Um, so in some ways, maybe some of that stuff will go away because these things are just consumer disposable devices versus um, you know laptops which are more complex and are designed to be fixable.
1: Yeah, I think it probably depends on the price points of the machines. For instance, yeah, with a low cost device like uh, like a Kindle, for instance, right, you'll call up, you'll explain the fault, and they'll say. Yeah, that's uh, that's no good. We'll send you out another one. Now, what I found with um, with with the HP, and the, I mean this is a, a fantastic ultra book. you know, other other than those dramas, are very happy with the um, with the Spectre XT. But you know what happened was they said, well, once I'd gone through it, and they said, yeah, we we agree that that uh, you know that it seems pretty clear what the issue is. Oh, but we do need to send somebody on site to verify it. And I said, well, it's an intermittent issue. You know, it could take yeah, it might take a while to actually find it. Um, but you know, fortunately, uh, we were able to see the issue within you know five minutes or so of the um, you know the technician being there. Uh, but that's you know an extra step that I guess they have to put in if you're talking sort of multi-thousand-dollar uh, yeah. uh, hardware, um, as opposed to something that's you know maybe a, you know one or two hundred.
0: Well, there's two things there, right? They can either have the guy stay on site until it fails again, or when they hang the phone up, you belt it against the desk a couple of times to make sure that when it turns up. It's not going to work. That's (laughs) That's right. All right, I'll remember that tip. Thanks for that, uh, Brett. I'm here to help. Yep.
1: Um, Now, last, um, last sort of, I guess, uh, man, we're really covering some um, some um, uh, harsh topics this week. (laughs) The last one was one uh, we talked about in the uh, last week was um, some of the issues around iOS um, 6.1. And I said, look, I haven't seen any of these issues. Well, um, <laughs> surprise, surprise, over the weekend, I uh, I found the battery was running down very quickly on my iPhone. Um, I don't know if that was iOS 6.1 uh, related or um, or it was an app that I was uh, running that was uh, hogging the juice. But, uh, uh, yeah, I sort of really was shocked with how quickly the, uh, the battery ran out. I was having to plug it back in every five minutes. So I've rebooted a couple of times since. And uh, today it actually seems to be reasonably okay. Uh, yesterday I found 10% of the battery dropped through in about uh, 30 minutes while I was driving, so it wasn't getting a whole lot of use, but the battery was diving quickly. So, um, yeah, but word is that there'll be a 6.1.2 update out from uh, from Apple very shortly. So, um, um, But at this stage, if anyone hasn't got iOS 6.1 on their iPhone or iPad, uh, recommended that you stay well clear of uh, 6.1 for another uh, few days. Uh, and a number of... Um, people that have come out and sort of said look don't don't use it don't connect it to your exchange server i think is what microsoft have yep. been saying uh so yeah a few warnings about uh, about this release still not clear whether all of the issues are apples or whether microsoft's at, at, at fault with some issue with the exchange and the way they the two talk together but uh,
0: just something to be cautious of anyway well the, the thing that interests me is so this isn't the first time that a you know a phone updates come out and had battery draining problems um but who does the testing is there not someone that goes oh you know that problem we had in the past So we come up with some way of making sure we don't have that again in the future you know my and I've got nothing to back this up statistically but my sense is that the quality of um, updates pushed out and let's say by Apple because you know they get a bit more visible airtime just because of market share mm. hasn't improved markedly of late you know they must I mean what happens when one of these things goes out and starts draining batteries I'd love to be a fly on the wall in Apple yeah
1: it's it's interesting isn 't it and I guess Apple are the you know are the um, are certainly the best with rolling these things out quickly you know they 're able to get them out to devices very quickly uh, and they also make them available to developers um, early so they you know they have in, they end up with a kind of i guess an audience to test it for them uh, more of an issue i think is the other vendors other than Apple rolling them out uh because Let's say we get a dodgy release from uh, Microsoft with with Windows Phone, and there have been you know some some issues with some of the Windows Phone uh, software uh, in the last little while. Um, you know it can take them two yeah. or three months to get something out to the users because of the way in which they do it. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, not so much. Not um, yeah, as much of an issue for Apple because they're able to fix it quickly. But I think it's a fair point that um, yeah, maybe the testing
0: isn't quite as robust <laughs> and, as it as it should be. And I guess part of th- you know maybe part of the thing is, and this might sound cynical, but it, it's practical that in, in some ways they're testing against that massive hundreds of millions audience. You know, you, you roll something out, and if it does break, you know that you can roll a fix out really quickly. I mean, Microsoft can do that on the Windows platform on on full full size machines. You know, they've got an incredible. System. I don't know if you've ever seen how it works. You know, with the bu- tracking, picking up the bugs, triaging them, working out what the problem is. I remember seeing a really being told a great story when I worked there about how um, one of the video card manufacturers had updated a driver. That update started crashing certain machines with certain configurations or whatever. It took people in Redmond like hours, like two or three hours, to figure that out. They went back to the video card manufacturer. Pointed out the problem to them, fixed the bug, and rolled it out via Windows Update all in the space of like twenty four hours. That's which impressive, is, which yeah. is really impressive, right? And, and Apple's probably in that same situation. They've got so many devices out there, they've got so many that are that are monitored from the point of view of pushing stuff, information back, they and they've got an incredible distribution network. You, you can you know, maybe you don't need to do that level of testing because the minute a bug pops up, it's pretty obvious. You fix it, you roll it out, roll out another update. Mm, you know. Mm, mm.
1: All right, now, um, lastly, new gadgets uh, coming through. Of course, um, the big one of the biggest sort of events for the year in the mobile uh, world, other than uh, other than CES, where there's usually you know usually a few announcements. We didn't have a lot in the mobile space um, this year, um, other than uh, the Sony Xperia um, Z, which is a uh, which is a pretty cool uh, looking uh, Android smartphone. Um, but we've got at Mobile World, Conference, Mobile World Congress, we're expecting there to be a few announcements this time around. One we've heard about already is this LG Optimus G, uh, which is a 5.5-inch um, screen Android handset. Um, now, this seems to f- um, follow uh, Sony's announcement in that it's also got a full HD screen. So, I mean, we're talking the same screen as your, you know, or the same number of... Um, you know, dots or pixels on the screen as you're, uh, you know, for instance, your 60-inch TV at home uh, sitting in this little um, little smartphone. Are you going to be
2: able to notice it? Uh, and I, uh, are you going to be able to notice the, the HD in such a, a smaller screen? I, I can't notice it having gone from a 46-inch non-HD panel to a full 55-inch HD panel. Very, very obvious. As soon as you turn it on, you can see that just everything's amazing. Are you going to be able to? Is that sort of are you going to get that same thing in such a small form factor? I think I've got VGA eyes.
1: Well, yeah, I mean my eyesight's not not that brilliant, and it de- I think it depends what you are looking looking at. I mean for for video, uh, you know not not necessarily, but uh, maybe the, you know maybe things will just standardize and everything will be running at that same resolution. It might make life a little bit easier. We're not chopping and changing between resolutions. Um, you know, technically it might you know make it a little bit easier for. Uh, uh, manufacturers and software vendors and so on. If everything just ran at the same resolution, yeah, but um, uh, you know whether that will happen, I guess there's always going to be you know they always want to one up um, you know another vendor by uh, by doing something. But yeah, we're now talking um, 440 you know pixels per inch uh, that we're seeing on this this new device from um, from LG. And you know, I think it was you know Apple was saying that the Retina display, which is you know a fair chunk lower than that, yeah. was that's all that your you know eye your, your, your eye can really perceive. Uh, so we, yeah, we are getting to a point where it's uh, you know it's it's somewhat pointless to add uh, you know more detail to uh, to the screen unless you're holding it right up to your uh, <laughs> right up to your face. Uh, but this, I mean, this looks like a fascinating um, device. That five point five inch screen sort of brings it. You know, and I guess as a competitor to uh, Samsung's, you know, Galaxy Note, uh, two, you know, being a, a, a large sort of form factor device like that, it's got a big chunky um, battery which is over three thousand uh, milliamp hours, which is, I guess, about fifty percent bigger than than um, you know your typical smartphone, you know, battery. If we look at the um, Galaxy S three, for instance, that's around uh, two two I think uh, uh, twenty it? 2100. Uh, and you know there are there are others um you know in that sort of twenty one to twenty three hundred sort of range, but yeah you know, your lower end smartphones are often sort of you know um probably about half half that you know thirty one hundred milliamp hour battery so um yeah, you should get some reasonable um reasonable battery life out of that uh, Be but interesting yeah.
2: to see what the with that big h d or so the the h d panel or the screen on the phone, what it actually does to battery life whether they 've had to put in a bigger battery because it 's a bit of a a power hog, yeah, maybe
1: maybe that's uh, that that's part of it. Um, the other thing it's got is a thirteen uh, megapixel uh, you know camera. Wow, which to me is is sort of fascinating. I think we're seeing a similar resolution in uh, in in the Xperia Z from Sony. Uh, you know, I wonder. You know, can the the lens you know such a small lens do justice to that sort of resolution? You know, my pick is you're you're now moving into a into a realm where it's 13 megapixel just so that it sounds better than mm. um, than the previous devices, not that there's actually necessarily a big, you know, or, or even, even any benefit of having a, a 13 megapixel, you know, in the same way it would be if we had a 4K resolution uh, screen in a smartphone, you know, that w- it would really be pointless from what you would actually be able to see.
0: I, I think really, there's a couple of interesting things in this. One is I've just discovered that the Xperia is waterproof. That's pretty cool. It is cool. Um, but the other thing is just the innovation that's going on in the space at the moment is incredible. You know, if, if two years ago, so how long has the iPhone been out? Seven years? Six, seven years? If two or three years ago someone came to you and said, you know what, a couple of years time, Apple are going to kind of be on the ropes, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff happening in the space, Samsung will, you know, charge through, people would have laughed you out of the room, Right. And it just amazes me consistently in this in, in the technical world, nothing ever stays constant. You know, whoever's at the front of the race one day is very rarely at the front of the race five years down the track, you know, and, and it's a really, you know, and the beneficiaries out of this are consumers, right? It just Absolutely, gets it's better great. and better and better, you know, huge amounts of innovation going on, which I think is a really wonderful thing, you know. And just to see these new players come in uh, are quite, you know, I think is, is a really cool thing, you know. So... Um, You know, the more of that, the better. So it'll be interesting to see, I'm I'm waiting to see what Apple do, because they need a rabbit out of the hat. And, um, you know, iOS looks tired now compared to a lot of the other stuff that's happening in that space. And, and, you know, they are good at pulling big rabbits out of hats, so it'll be really interesting to see what they do, you know, with iOS 7 or 7.5 or 8 or something. Well,
1: it's just such a, you know, it's such an exciting space at the moment, and a lot of the innovations coming with Android devices isn't yeah. it I mean that's where yep. I guess that's where the market share is that's where you know money is actually being uh, made by people other than um, than, than Apple uh, and you know it's it's great to see this I mean Samsung have been doing so strongly in the Android space but yeah, the, these last couple of announcements, um, you know, are from vendors other than other than Apple. Uh, so, uh, sorry, other than uh, Samsung, you know, we've heard from LG and, and from Sony. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be fascinating to see what uh, what Samsung have got up their sleeves for their their next couple of uh, couple of releases. The software keeps getting better.
0: Um, so, yeah. Did Google make any money out of Android? I well,
1: I guess that they make their money in that they're selling apps and yeah. that they're putting their search engine on mobile oh, devices good point, good point. rather than somebody else as yeah. they control that. So, yeah. you know, I think it's an important um, yeah, space for them to be to yeah. be in. And, yeah, I'm, I'm sure in the long run they're, they're probably doing rather nicely. Thank you very well, much. They've done an amazing it. job. Absolutely. Um, so, um, yeah. All right, well, that probably wraps us up for uh, for this week. Now, um, Nate, we can find you on, uh, on Twitter,
2: at Nate. Very nice and short. And you keep a blog online? Yeah, I feel a bit bad because I haven't blogged for ages. I've, got, I've just been so busy. I've got lots of stuff I want to blog about, but I haven't. So my blog sits on Geekzone, or you can get to it through my name, natedunn.com. Excellent. And uh, Brett, you're easy to find on Twitter as
0: well, aren't you? Because I use my name as my Twitter handle. So Brett Roberts, at Brett Roberts, um, is me on Twitter. And um, I used to blog, but I don't anymore. But I write a regular column for... Um, unlimited magazine so feel free to buy the last paper version of that that's out there or look for the digital version that has launched was it last week or the week before so.
1: yeah i think that's yeah that's um either just launched or about to launch now something we actually sort of ran out of time to chat about um earlier is some um, some stuff you know, pitney bows where you're basically doing some smarts um stuff with some Lockers, so I hope we can uh, we can dive into that a little bit uh, next time that we have you yeah. on. Um, the um, I guess we've we've heard from uh, you know from Amazon about these sort of smart lockers where you can get things um, um, sent to. Can you give us a quick rundown on um, on on what what these are and
0: um, yeah, sure. whether they might be relevant? Let me see if I can do a real quick pitch. So basically, they're um, highly secure, solid steel lockers that get dotted around the landscape, uh, and instead of having your latest Amazon slash eBay slash Trade Me purchase sent to your home address, uh, then you miss the courier and you have to go to the depot somewhere. You get them delivered to a locker that's near, partic- You know, for example, your place of work. Um, the lockers are um, connected uh, via a cellular data connection to a cloud service. So when your package is delivered, you receive uh, an SMS message and or an email. It has a six-digit code in it. You walk up to the locker, you punch a six-digit code in, the door pops open and you take your new pair of Nike running shoes out or whatever it might be, shut the door and the cycle repeats itself. Um, Yeah, I was quite keen to actually
1: try that out because I know Amazon are doing it a number of places in the US and so when I was there I was hoping to use it but I wasn't in the right place at the the right time. But I thought rather than getting stuff shipped to the hotel and the hotel charges you a big fee for picking up the packages and you've got to tip them and all that sort of stuff, if you've got a few packages it can become quite expensive.
0: These things will change the face of logistics if I give you Mm. maybe just a, a couple of examples. So... Um, Amazon are rolling these things out through 7-Eleven stores in the states. Um, the deal with 7-Eleven is it brings in a lot of foot traffic, so yep, 7-Eleven loves that. Yeah, um, and Amazon, are, you know, people can deliver things to them. The next step that Amazon will you'll see um, is preemptive. I call it preemptive logistics. I don't know. I'm sure there's a, a magical term for it. Um, you imagine being Amazon; they can work out that next week in the Auckland CBD, seven people are going to want to buy an iPhone 5 16 gig. So what they'll do is they'll pre-populate a locker in downtown Auckland with those phones. they just put them in there, um, and when you order them off Amazon, they'll ping you a thing saying, yeah, downtown Auckland, in the locker, there's one now, go and pick it up. I mean, that's so where you, all the stuff You place your is order way. and the goods are, are there, there. They instantly. Know. You, yeah. just,
1: you, know, you just d- duck, yep. duck down the stairs or whatever to yep. wherever your latest, closest locker is that uh, they
0: so know their stock in. There's, in there's the three of know. these lockers in New Zealand now. There's one at the Wellington Railway Station, one at um, Botany Town Centre and there's one at the New Zealand Post depot uh, Victoria Street West um, they're called parcel pods um, New Zealand Post are trialling them at the moment if you go to nzpost.co.nz slash I think it's parcel pod not parcel pods um, you can sign up and you can I think for $5 for 6 months or something and you can direct as many packages as you like to to one of those um, lockers and try the whole thing out um, they work incredibly well, people like them and mm. um, so I think, you know, at the moment, the trial's going um, very, very well. They went live early December, um, and we're talking to them at the moment about what the next steps will be around that. So it's quite exciting, actually. It's a real Greenfields opportunity, and there's some quite transformative things in there. There's a number of other businesses and business models that fit into big grey steel boxes that are connected to a cloud service. You know? Yeah,
1: I mean, there's just always new things coming up that yep. sort of benefit from, a, from an internet connection. No, that's cool to hear. All right, well, thank you for that, uh, thank you for that Brett. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, that wraps us up. You can find me online uh, at Paul Spain on Twitter or um, paulspain.com, Sort of link's through to my uh, my blog and various bits and pieces. Uh, and, of course, nztechpodcast.com is, is where the podcast is, and we're on Facebook, uh, Google+, Plus and uh, and Twitter, uh, and uh, we like to be liked on those sort of uh, channels. So We hey, like to be liked. We do, we do. Um, so, hey, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening in. We will be back again uh, next week. Um, Hopefully, with some more interesting, well, some more uh, positive news and uh, all of these little outages and things out of the way, and um, a whole bunch of new technology to talk about. See ya.